Welcome to another edition of the Nick Bob Podcast. Really excited about uh, the guy I got in front of me right here, face-to-face. Uh, Dirk Chatlin, Omaha World Herald, and uh, author as well. Like, are you used to Dirk also? Do you want to be Dirk Chatlin of the Omaha World Herald or Dirk, comma, author? What do you want to be? What do you want to be right now? Uh, I think I have to reach like a certain number of book sales before to, I can okay, identify until you myself do that. as an okay, author. So okay. I'll get back to you in about 2021. Okay. Well, what, what I wanted to have you be is uh, Dirk Chatlin, comma, daily Nebraskan story writer of Nick Baugh. Do yes. you remember? I do. I was thinking about, dri- driving today, I was thinking about, I haven't talked to you in a while. Do you still have that article? I found it today. I, I literally, archives? I can show you, I Googled it, it is... This is this is a story. Now it's there's zero. Look at that story. <laughs> there's no, there's no, no break in a paragraph at all or whatever. But look at that. So for those that don't know, March twelfth, two thousand two, Dirk Chatlin wrote a story about me in the Daily Nebraskan, and I remember that was one of the first like features that anyone wrote on me about my basketball career. Why did I do that? I, I don't. Yeah, I'm like I. I think I was like Daily Nebraskan. What? Huh? Okay. All right. You yeah, know, we're a big deal. Yeah. In my mind, it was like there was the, the only publications that existed in my life. There were four. There was the Lincoln Journal Star, the Omaha World Herald, Sports, Sports Illustrated, Illustrated, and Playboy. <laughs> 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 Those the only things that existed. And so I was like Daily, hey, Daily some Nebraskan great sports features coming out of coming Playboy out of Playboy. Then. I was yeah. like, I was writing for the Playboy. Hi, we're with Playboy Magazine. We hear you're a decent shooting guard. That's maybe a mid-major guy. We want to do a feature on you. But yeah, that was one of the that was one of the very first big features anyone did on. Did me. I talk to? No, I. You had a quote in there from Coach Smith. Okay. But I, uh, but I think I, you just talked to me and Coach. But it, I, I think I had a, I think I had Roy in there, right? Wasn't he Roy kind of the, the anchor? That didn't Roy. Roy, Roy uh, I don't you? know if you had you had my uncle Chip. You had, you had my uncle Chip because this was all before. Here, let's just let's just sit back and, and uh, be amazed by the by the lead. Just read the lead, okay? The first the lead, okay? You ready? It's not every day the icon of Midwestern hoops walks into the gymnasium at Lincoln Southeast High School, nor. Is it every day one of his Big 12 conference colleagues joins him? Kansas basketball coach Roy Williams made a special visit to Lincoln recently. His reason for the three-hour drive from Lawrence, Kansas, was to check out a certain Southeast basketball star. Gives you chills, doesn't it? It does, man. It's like, look at that. Man, well, you really saw our potential back then. (laughs) And here we are, 17 years later, talking about things. Nick, do you realize... That I have been out of high school as long as I, I've lived. Basically, my high school graduation is now like the half, the midpoint of my life. Oh wow! It's t- terrifying. That is kind of terrifying. It's. I'm almost to the point where, and you'll get to this point with your wife too, yeah. but where you know your wife like, you know, half of your life. It's right. Like, geez, weird. It is weird. Well, one of the things that's weird for me is, I've now hit the point where I've almost been in living in Omaha for as long as I grew up in Lincoln. Yeah, for some nice. reason, that was... Because we all think of, if you're, I shouldn't say fortunate enough, like, but if sometimes it's nice to never have to move when you're a kid. Right. That, for some reason, that thought is like, wow, it is. Or just anything oh, you like, think about... Like when you have kids. Yeah, kids so, dates things yeah, big time. So, so I remember going on a walk. This is a terrible conversation. No, it is great but conversation. I'm walking, you know, like when our, when our first child was born... I'm a big math guy, and so yeah. I would be walking down the street and be like, "Oh, we've uh, we've had our child for three weeks. Uh, that's one four hundred thirty fourth of the time that we're going to have with him before he graduates high school." 
You know, and my wife would be like, "Shut up!" That's that so is such depressing. a negative. You're you're yeah. the real life Debbie that's Downer so with depressing. like. It and now is, it's yeah. like we're. I mean, he's like nine and a half, and wow. it's like, wow, that's he's gonna be gone before we know it. It, so. it well, I always gauge things. I think the weird thing too also is growing up. I remember thinking like, man, Tommy Frazier's like really yeah. old, or uh, Grant Wistrom's really old. Um, Grant Hill is really old. And now I'm at the point where I look I look now at and I'm like, man, uh Diedrich Mills is young. Yeah. Uh, Adrian Mi- Martinez. Adrian Martinez is young. That old. that flip is kind of a weird thing for me. Well, and it's honestly, it gives me a little bit more respect for for what those guys do yeah. at the level that they do it yes. in front of ninety thousand people. Not so much the current Nebraska guys <laughs> tend to be a little up and down. I mean, right, 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 right. But like looking back at you know Tommy Frazier, for instance, yes. It's like think about the expectations on that guy at that time, and he know? just answered it. Cool, yeah. calm, big moments. It did. Then the other thing that's weird is is to think about when you're a sports related person like you are as well to think about the fact that some of these guys either. Their age when big milestones in your sports life occurred, where right, you know, like a lot of these guys, like was Adrian Martinez, like when Jordan crossed up Russell <laughs> and hit the shot against the Jazz in '98. Martinez wasn't even alive. Not born. He was born in 2000. Nick. So think about that. Yeah, like so that means when when Kobe crossed up, who did he cross up for the Blazers and then throw the lob to Shaq in the Western Conference Finals? Like Martinez was one year one probably. I'm sure he has fond memories of it. <laughs> I mean, it's but, but that's but, something that's hard. Okay, to, here, here's another part of that. Uh, if you grew up in the state, mm-hmm. would you be okay? And I, I, I've said this many times, but I was 13 years old when Nebraska won the national championship in 1994. Yep, like the most impressionable age possible. You're you're the peak like, of your fandom. The, the peak and, of sports yeah. fan. You have no yeah, activities. Totally. You got no responsibilities, no job. Like my job as a 13-year-old kid was to read Street and Smith magazine. Okay. <laughs> so Nebraska wins the national championship at 13, 14, and then when I'm 16. Yeah. No wonder I'm like totally. so drawn to this totally. program. Totally. Right? right. What how is my kid? going to have the same feelings about Nebraska football that I have. I think about that. I have a, I have, cause I have some buddies that their kids are getting, they're not, they're not quite that old, but they're getting to that age where, you know, six, seven years old, where you first start to really get into athletes and sports and all those things. And I do wonder that not only from the standpoint of the success that Nebraska has, but also access to watching other teams like I think about I remember being in in grade school or middle school and there'd be if someone was a I don't know a uh, a UCLA fan or something I'm like how did that happen yeah you're a weirdo you're how did that like what do you mean now if you want to you could watch every Oregon football game every one of them when we grew up it wasn't like that. Heck, when the Chick and Nick show started, there were still pay-per-view yeah. Husker games. That's only 10 years ago. Yeah. It's you crazy. Know, you know who it really drives crazy is the is the those Nebraska football players that we're talking about from that era. They have kids now. You know, I've talked to Matt Hoskinson about this and other guys that are like uh Tim Carpenter. You know, they've got kids who are 10, 12, 14 years old now, and like they won't even watch the games. Right. And it just drives these guys crazy. Right. You know? So so I think, you know, I think there's really an urgency down in Lincoln now to just 
to give the next generation something to grab onto. It doesn't have to be a national championship, right? Uh, but it's got to be more than a Jordan Westerkamp Hail Mary or a you know yes. one second left because in the Big kids championship. and 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 you can't bl- kids are fair weather fa- like they want they like who's on top. I mean, for me, like I, my favorite team in I like the Bulls and the Cowboys. Yeah. Front runner, big shock. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and you go, you go to a high school or you go to a grade school basketball camp. You see Steph Curry jerseys uh, by the bushel full. You yeah. see, you know, what I mean, you're not seeing a Devin Booker jersey. Right. You're like, kids gravitate towards whoever is winning. And you're right. Like, I do wonder the long term effects of that because you and I are at similar ages where it's like Nebraska football was. Is the Earth, Moon, stars, and galaxy yeah. for our life, and it's maybe not like that for some kids now. Yeah, and, and I would use as an example of that. I mean, so so I was trying to sort of reflect a little bit just coming in here, like, okay, why you know why do I do what I do? Why am I a sports fan and all this stuff? Well, the the nineteen ninety one Nebraska basketball season was a huge thing in my life mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm nine ten years old. Nebraska just out of nowhere goes twenty six and eight. Uh, they're a three seed in the NCAA tournament. I go to this game with you know Nebraska beats Michigan State on a Bo Reed three pointer to, to win it at the buzzer, and it's like you know I still almost get chills thinking about that stuff. And it's like, okay, I was a nut because there was an there was a catalyst, right? right? There was right. A, it was an instigator, and man, I just don't know if my nine year old is going to have that right. those instigators. Yeah, that's it. That's just. It's a scary thing where it's like you at I think everyone right now has a uh, has a ton of patience with everything that's going on with right. Frost and the football program and all that but at, at the same time you know 1997 is a, is getting to be a long 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 time ago and you do need to have as you put it like a catalyst for somebody to become interested in it you can't just necessarily assume because mom and dad were cared about something your kid will care about it and you know what that catalyst will be when it'll come is an important thing to track. Yeah, and and you know I'm really drawn to history on stuff like this. I mean, Nebraska was really good in the at times in the first half of the 20th century, and you know 1941 Rose Bowl and all this stuff. Well, they had a really bad period in the 50s, and in 1962 Devaney shows up. Nebraska goes to Michigan, the third game of the season in 1962, and they upset Michigan. And when the team comes home from the to the airport. There's like 3,000 people oh, yeah. w- waiting for them at the Lincoln Airport right. after a regular season win over Michigan. And it's like, you know, think how many people there remember that moment and think of what that was as a spark, you know, to, yes. to, for those people to get interested in Nebraska football. People of, you know, of, of my son's generation, you know, th- they need something like that. No and, doubt. And, and I don't know, man, I mean, I know it's going to come, right. but, but it's, we've waited a long time. So... That's a that, let's think about everything we just said, and I want to get into uh, the fact that I for for two of the local media members, which you and I have been for a, you longer than me, but I'm about ten years. It's funny to think that if you'd have asked random message board people, random Husker fan, who are the biggest Husker haters, You'd be like fuck, bah. <laughs> Dirk Chatlin, hey, and it's like that was one of the more surreal things when I got into radio. Was all of a sudden people were like, "You hate Nebraska," and I was like, "Okay, time out." First of all, that's absurd. <laughs> right. Second of all, I was the guy that I ran around Lawrence, Kansas, talking 
crap to all the Kansas football players by Nebraska. I was the at, at Creighton basketball practices in when practice would start in October and November. I would have our trainer put the score of the Nebraska <laughs> game on the scoreboard if we were practicing during the game so I would know what was happening. It's just hilarious knowing what we know about our background and how we really feel right. to be labeled that. Now, that's not to say we can't be objective because that's what comes with the job. Right. But at the same time, it's kind of weird. What has that been like for you? Because being critical of Nebraska in this market is challenging. Yeah, it is. And it's, you know, it really, I mean, pe- when, when people think of me, they think of Bo Pointy. And, and that's, yeah. you know, those, I'm going to be synonymous with him until one of us dies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe longer. <laughs> But but you're right. I mean, it's I um I didn't get into it. I didn't get into journalism because I was a fan. Um, I right. Think, I think I got into journalism because I, I like telling stories and I I like the role that you know a newspaper plays in a in a community and all this stuff. Uh, but but it was it was a little bit jarring. Uh, you know, there were some really dark moments in the Pointy era when it came to how people looked at me, and it was. Uh, it it was sort of ironic to to just and even you know we use coaches along the way where it's like you know labeling whether it was Barry Collier or um you know Bo or you know many people since but it's like it's like man I almost want to respond like hey man I was here before you and I'm gonna be here after <laughs> you like you just settle down Relax. Over there yeah you know? I don't hate your program no. I, I know more about your program than you do. Right. So it's right. like, I, I know what you're getting at. And, uh, you know, and for, some of that with you is just because of your, your Creighton. Oh, type. no question. They, cr- just, they can't. Ties. They think I chose, like, I chose Kansas and Creighton over Nebraska. And they'll well, never get over that. Most people would have. You know, I mean, yeah, it's like they'll just never get over that. And it's like, I've gone over the story a million times on how Nebraska actually didn't recruit me that hard and yeah. all those things. But but they'll never get over You know, like there's some people that just can't get past that. Yeah. You know, I, it was funny when I launched this podcast, I had a guy respond to me on Twitter. It was like, no, thanks. Don't need my Husker info from a Jasker. Yeah. And I and and my first uh, my first guest was Barrett Rude. Right. I said, oh. You don't want information from Barrett Rude? You know, it's like, right. I don't... But some people have a hard time getting past just Creighton. The messenger. The messenger. Yeah. No, and, and that's the same thing. I mean, I've, I've written stories that were, you know, love stories to Nebraska football almost. And people will be like, oh, I read the byline. I'm not going to read that. It's <laughs> like... by Dirk. What oh. the hell? Like, I know. It, everybody in town's talking about this story. Why don't you want to read it? Because I don't like you. <laughs> What? I know. I know. And you know what's weird, Nick, is this thing has gotten, I don't mean to get all old on you here, but it's changed so much since 2001, 2002. Um, I, my first year as a reporter at the DN covering Nebraska football was 2002. And my first year at the World Herald was 2005. And like back then, unless your name was Tom Chattel or maybe Lee Barfneck, people didn't pay attention to the byline, really. People didn't know yeah. or care, really. It, it it really became an issue when, you know, press conferences started being uh, recorded or streamed or all this stuff where all of a sudden by, by like 2000, I don't know, 9, 10, 11, uh, it's like, okay, I'm going to ask this question at a press conference that's going to be kind of tough and everybody's going to know that I asked it and everybody's going to analyze the way that I asked it and like the structure of the question. Yeah. 
And, you know, there's even colleagues in the media that you've worked with yeah. that have that sort take of, an issue that with, take an yeah. issue. Oh, I don't like how he asked that question. It's like that did not happen right. in, in 2002. Right. Okay. That right. is totally changed where the messenger has become like part of the story now. Yeah. And and so I think it it took me a while um to sort of thicken my skin to the point. I mean it was, there was some real there was a message board out there that would I mean threats to the point where like people at work would you know, contact this message board and all this stuff. And eventually you just have to like thicken your skin and say, I'm not going to pay attention to it. That is not my North star. You know, it's just because, because what's the alternative? You know, you spend your whole life worrying about that stuff. Right. But the thing that I try to tell people is it's not a Nebraska thing. I mean, when I was in 2002, I was a 21 year old kid at uh, for the Daily Nebraskan, and I went to cover Nebraska at K-State. This is when Nebraska football was still Nebraska football. And K-State just lights them up down there. I mean, it was 45 to whatever it was, 13. And Bill Snyder, who had a reputation for this anyway, um, he it was senior day, and his backup quarterback was a captain, a senior captain. Snyder didn't play him. In a 30-point win. So this is Darren Sproles and yeah. who's the cornerback? Terrence Newman. Uh, Snyder didn't play him because he he had the starters in all the way to the end because he just wanted to shove it down Nebraska's throat. Yeah. Okay. And so after the game, I go to the to the K-State press conference. And you know, it's like this celebratory. If you think if you think the media is full of homers at Nebraska, cool. go down to Manhattan, Kansas. <laughs> okay. And so I'm like sitting right in the middle of this thing. I'm the only person not from you know, not basically waving their purple towels. And uh, there's 100 people in the room. And I, fifth or sixth question, I said, you know, uh, basically I said, why did you not play your backup quarterback? Or why did you leave your starters in or whatever? And Snyder just completely dismissed it. I mean, imagine this, you know. This is a huge banner win for K-State, signature win. And here's some 21-year-old kid from Lincoln, (laughs) Nebraska, asking why I didn't play my backup quarterback. So he dismisses it, and everybody in the room kind of gives me Who's one of these this points. guy? Yeah. So, like, another two minutes pass, and I'm like, I think I'm going to ask it again. <laughs> so I asked, I asked it, like, in a different form. Sure. And, you know, I mean, walking out of there, I just felt like, I felt like all eyes were on me. Yeah. Right. Right. And so I wrote a column criticizing Snyder and how he was low class and, you know, yeah, run, yeah. running up the score and all this stuff. Well, 12 months later, Bo Pelini thought the same thing because they got into it at, yep. at, at midfield at Memorial Stadium for the same issue. But my point is, like, this is not a Nebraska thing for me. I mean, this is just like, I I take it as my job. Yeah. Like, if if somebody's got to ask these questions of Bo or you Whoever. know Scott Frost yeah. or Bill Callahan, and I work for the World Herald, and it's my job to do it. Right. So, it's uh, well, that's hilarious. I I think sometimes it's always like, you know, you, you've you've seen some of these anecdotes after the the loss to Colorado. Where the fans would be like, oh, media, it was the media hyping it up. You guys should be ashamed of yourselves. Why do you do this? Okay. <laughs> and then, But then if, let's say, before the season, anybody, you, Chattel, Sam, whoever would have wrote some article being like, I don't know about this season, da-da-da. Why do you hate? Right. Why can't you support? It's like, well, what What do you want? Yeah. There's so many times I wanted to have a State of the Union and get to some some listeners and some readers. And be like, what do you guys want? Do you want to be told everything's great? Or do you want 
the truth as at least maybe someone like I see it. And I think the majority of people would say, I want, I, I think they say they want the truth, but they only want the truth if it aligns with what they feel in the moment. The thing that bugs me the most about sort of, well, I, I don't know. That's probably not fair, but yeah, I don't want to come off as like we're bashing. What, the what drives me crazy is when the media will, the local media here will support, 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 support. Coach gets fired. Bash, 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 bash. Totally bash. drives me nuts. And it's like, okay, if if those issues bothered you, if if you didn't like how that coach handled the walk on program or whatever it was, or didn't recruiting is a big thing, you know, neglectful in recruiting in Don't some way. It. Every if every you, signing day has been the best class if ever. If you didn't think that class was good, yeah. then you know, why didn't you say something then? Agree. So that you know, that's been a big thing in. That'll perhaps never change, but but you're right in that you really have to make decisions. I think consciously and um, you know, sort of with thought about you have to sort of pick your spots. Yeah, like I, where, I call it saving my bullets. That's yes, it. I, that's my precise. When I was on the radio, I thought something would happen. I'm like, is this worth a bullet? Exactly. I don't know. That's exactly right. Nick. Yeah, and, and so there are moments, and and you almost have to pick. Uh, you have to sort of judge the popularity, and just, it's almost like a political climate. Yeah. I'll give you an example. I'll give you two examples. One, two years ago, I'd wanted to write this column for years about how Nebraska football had basically become a fraud, where it was all packaging, and if you sat in the stadium on a Saturday, you would never know that the program wasn't any good because everybody around it treated it like it was the glory days. You know, all this pyrotechnics and you know mm-hmm. production. And and it was basically hollow. Okay, I, I thought about writing it <laughs> before a couple season openers, and I, and I was like, okay, that's not going to play well. No. Uh, and I, I saved it for October 2017 when you know Mike Riley completely collapsed, yeah. and and as a result, it was like the most popular column I wrote all year. It was like, yes, finally, finally, finally yeah. somebody said it. Yeah, you know. Okay, so I played that one well, uh, but there are other moments where, like, um, you know, you 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 write that before the public is there. Yeah. So you have to be conscious of what the you mainstream is. Got to be real careful. Is. I think that's really hard to navigate. Yeah, it is, and and if and sometimes you veer out of bounds a little bit. Uh, sometimes you just get scared. Like a month ago, I was very tempted to write that. Guys, Adrian Martinez won four football games last year. Right. One of them was over an FCS school. One of them, Nebraska, scored nine points. One of them was against Illinois. Like, yeah. like can we just wait a little bit? <laughs> like, I almost called Tom Osborne. And I was like, Tom, I know what you said about him being the most refined, skilled quarterback you've ever seen at Nebraska, but can right. we just pump the brakes on this a little bit? I didn't make that phone call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Frost compares him to Patrick Mahomes and sure, all this sure, stuff. It's sure. just like, whoa, guys. Yeah. Whoa. Right. Let's can we wait for him to win something? Sure. And now I kinda wish I would have written that. So you're just again, I don't think these are things that people that journalists worried as much about twenty years ago, but because there's so much potential for feedback slash backlash. Right. You really got to be conscious of this stuff. Totally, you got to stay in the mainstream. Yeah, and that, it's it's hard to do. And it's do you miss one thing? Because you've kind of evolved. I'm curious because you're you've evolved where you'll still write columns, right. but you're not. I mean, you used to have your your your. I mean, how the blog was. Two, okay, so so the blog was. Uh, I started that in 2011. A Mad Chatter blog. Yeah, and it went through. I mean. Still do it once every once in a while, but 
I, I got to the point where, and I think I wanted to ask you about this. Um, I just got to the point where I felt like I was trying to find something to say, uh-huh. right? And as opposed to like waiting to be inspired to, to write something or to say something about the daily happenings, yep. it was like, oh, what am I going to say about Andrew Luck? Yeah. It's like, and that was sort of like soul sucking. You know, to like try to find creativity that wasn't always there. Yeah. And then I found that it was like taking uh, energy away from things that I really wanted to do, like, mm-hmm. you know, bigger projects and things like that. Um, and then, you know, the other fact is when we've got, I mean, Sam is really, really prolific and Chattel is somebody that people reads every day. And it was like, I don't even know if, it, if this voice is necessary. Right. But so I kind of veered out of that. But I, I've done a lot of different things. I mean, I tried this podcast thing for a while. Yep. Um, and I really enjoyed that. And, you know, just things just kind of naturally come to an end sometimes. Uh, got into this book thing the last year. I, I really enjoy doing the project stuff. I've done some series and things like that over the last few years that, that I, great. I'm probably most pride, you know, have the most pride in that. Uh, but that stuff takes a lot of energy too. So it's just, I've tried to bounce around a little bit. Yeah. That's, um, it's funny you write that because it was, I think what you wanted to ask me was what I was going to ask you was, do you miss the semi daily column stuff where no matter what, you have to have a take on something? Yeah. And because I can relate to that doing a three hour daily radio show of there are so many things that are like, well, I, here comes a big story and it's like, I got to have a take on it. I don't really have a take on it, but I got a four. Like I don't, I never, it, it got to where you felt like you're forcing things. And granted, I've only been out of my radio show. I mean, I guess two months to the day was my final show. I got to be honest. And this isn't like, I don't miss yeah. the, the having to, to rack my brain for a take on something Every day, I don't miss that at all. Well, and I, I really respect people who just follow things so closely that it just pours out of them naturally. Yeah. I mean, I think I think uh, you know Gary Sharp just he follows so many things yeah. where he can talk about thirty different issues yes. at the same time. Damon's like that too. Um, I was never like that, so you know it would really get me in the spring, for instance, when Nebraska baseball is doing something and there's nothing else going on. I'm like, well, I better have a. I need to lead this mad chatter blog with 400 words about Nebraska baseball. What the hell am I going to say about Nebraska baseball? Right, right. You know, so I'm like, oh, I found a trend here where they lose all their Sunday games or you know whatever. It's like this is stupid. Right. Why, why am I spending four hours creating something that isn't natural? And I there? think that's where you can get yourself into like I shouldn't say get yourself into trouble, but like you, it's not to say you ever wrote something you didn't believe or weren't you know thought it was like I don't th- I'm writing this and I don't believe I don't think this at all. Or I ever had a take on the radio that was like, this is completely like not what I think. But at, at the same time, like you're also, do you really have a desire to, yeah, and do, pe- are you passionate about it? People, do you really believe and in people it? People can, yeah. can cut through the BS on that. And, like, or, or you just, you know, you maybe get into something where you're like, that, that's when sometimes you can, man, like you maybe, or, or what ends up happening is instead of doing 400, let's for instance, 400 words on Nebraska baseball, well, I'm going to go back to that other story right. that was last week and I'm going to try to see if I can squeeze, it's like a ketchup bottle, like can I squeeze a little bit more out of that story right. because that was one that I kind of cared about yeah. and that's a hard thing to do. Yeah, and, it's, and, and every time you open your mouth, every time you put something in print, you know, you are... You're sort of uh, making yourself vulnerable yes. to to you know someone who 
The other thing is, Nick, and, and I know you you had to experience this. I've never asked you specifically about this, but it's so hard. I think I think one reason that media today is okay. Let me back up. I, I'll watch Pardon the Inter- Interruption or Around the Horn or whatever, and I'll be like, "Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. What they're saying. That's an interesting argument." And then they'll talk about something that I know something about. I'll be like, you guys don't know shit. You know? <laughs> it's like, how are you yeah. that stupid? And yeah. then it's like, oh my gosh, maybe they're that stupid on everything they talk about. I just don't know it. Right. And it's like, wait a second. That actually makes sense because Stephen A. Smith actually isn't capable with the number of hours in the day of being an expert on everything can't that he do, talks about. You can't about. watch every game. Because it, there's no way you so watch all this So you dumb it down. Yep. Everything gets dumbed down you know, a lot. To the point where it's like, um, you know, you're really not adding a whole lot about anything. Right. Now, that I think is the challenge of what you did in radio, especially when you're by yourself. Mm -hmm. It's like, how the hell am I going to follow all this stuff and have the expertise necessary to talk about it well? Right. Right? So what you do instead is you, you, you focus on the things that you really know. And, and you go and you and get, you just you know you you, you hammer it you, you catch up out of that you yeah. get every last drop of ketchup out of that and yet, topic that's or that frustrating thing. that's frustrating too because yeah. you're like man why the hell am I t- I mean it's it's May in Nebraska why am I talking about last November's Iowa game right, right. now you right. know and so it's or it's like it used to come be like there's a an enormous game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. LeBron and whoever, you know, something. And it's like, this is a huge thing. Right. This is what I want to talk this about. This is what I want to talk about. But instead, it's like, well, you know, let's get into special teams last year. And it's like, <laughs> I know. you know, and, and, but you got to, that's also a part of like knowing your audience, knowing your market, knowing your market. Yeah. And, uh, unfortunately, what I, I yeah, I would love to have talked basketball all the time, but what people want to talk about 24 7, 365 is Husker football. It's always interesting when I, uh, would, do a do a, sh- a a game with some national broadcaster. I'm like, oh, so so okay. So you live in Nebraska and you do it a radio show, and they'll be like, the hell do you talk about all the time? Like Nebraska football, yeah. You know, and they're like, you talk about it all year. I'm like, yeah, I do. Yeah. You know, it's I, like, I, I mean, talk about it all. To year. be honest, Nick, and and you won't be doing it, but the radio guys and the beat writers and God bless them all. But they'll be talking about that Colorado game for the next nine nine months. Yep. Until there's until next season begins. Yep, like that will be a constant theme of oh, that, you'll, you'll you'll pull things out of that game. You look at that game. You look, and and yeah, that's that's how it goes though. I know, and that's and that's what our audience demands. Right, right. But can we all admit, <laughs> listeners, that it doesn't make a lot of sense? <laughs> it's, you it's, know, yeah, it, it's. It, it, that that used to always be kind of frustrating. Where I, I feel like I'd have like a great thought on the Warriors. Right. Nothing. Okay, we'll, like, we'll we'll do that at the at the fifty six minute of the hour. We'll just we'll, we'll just try into, to squeeze yeah. it in there before squeeze, the hour. Yeah, we'll try to do that. It's uh, it is it is and a Nick, challenging. Nick, here's the other thing about the blog. And and again, I my preference, even though it's really hard work, is my preference is to do this. Ta- you know, tackle the big projects and this thing like twenty fourth and glory, and, yeah, and yeah. try to do those things, but. Okay, and people like that. I mean, people really, really appreciate that. But it is not for everybody. And what people, I'll talk, you know, I would talk to neighbors. They'd be like, oh, I love your blog because, you know, I can just get through it in four minutes. And it's just, you know, I feel like I know what's going on in the sports world. And I read it in the elevator or whatever. 
And it's like, yeah, I'm glad I can serve that purpose for you, but right. you realize there's like no depth to that at all, right? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I know, but that's why I like it. It's like, what? Some I know some people, there, there are some people though, and, and I get it. Sometimes I always think it is important to think about, put yourself in the shoes of a reader, right. a listener or whatever. Some people just want to pop their head in yeah. and pop out. Exactly. They don't necessarily want to sit down and stay a while and get deep, and that's fine. And so you have to provide different things for different people because I bet there's some people that that see the 24th and Glory and go, "It's a how many part series?" It's yeah. it. and they go, "I, I don't I don't I can't I, I don't I ain't got time for that I don't got time to dive deep into that right and so. You know, if you're serving one, you're alienating another, and that's just no, kind of how it goes. It's important it's, to stay balanced. Yeah. And I think you, you know, you're doing this too in your own life, but it's also important. And this is what I've learned over the last 15 years is you got to do what makes you yes. satisfied. You know, that feeling of like, right. ooh, this is, this is interesting to me. This yeah. gets my, the wheels turning. And you know, when that isn't happening. Right. And so when, you know, when Mad Chatter was rolling along three, three times a week, you know, there just comes a point where it's like, I this just isn't doing it for me anymore. Yeah. And yeah. and so, you know, that's why I'm I'm proud of you for doing what you're doing because I think, you know, you kind of have to follow like I said, you have to follow your north star a little bit. Totally. And uh I think, you know, I think you'll find and it's also important to to try new things, you know, to to do things that you're that you think you might like, and yeah. then you decide, eh, that's not really for me. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think, let's get, because there's a bunch of stuff I want to hear. I say you. that having been at the World Herald for 15 but years. But that's fine. Like, completely but, 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 but the beauty zone. of it, though, is you have evolved it a ton in not just the past 15 years. I would say the past five, six, seven years, you've evolved quite yeah. a bit into doing different things, you P know? Pissing off new coaches. Pissing all the time. off new coaches and new readers every day. <laughs> That but should be my tagline. That's it. That's it. That's a good tagline there. The uh, I so I was sitting down. I'm like, we got to get into 24th and Glory a little bit because it's books available now. People can go get it. Uh, I feel like, you know, at Big Ten Media Days, where you're the last person to get a coach for the day, right? And we don't, like, we don't have time about it. We, like, we don't know, but it's like I I sat there and like I've listened because I, I it was very interesting and I listened to you. You went on to a you did a, a little a media tour and it was like. It was so interesting, but I'm like, I am trying to figure out a new angle, yeah. and I can't think. Do you? I guess. Do you? Th when when you were the creator of something, I'd imagine it's interesting when you're in it and create it, and then you serve it to people, and there may be something that you thought was really interesting that for some reason people didn't gravitate towards that aspect of the story; they gravitated towards something else. Is there something that you within the story that was really, really interesting to you that maybe for whatever reason hasn't gotten one of the main bullet points of what people have kind of talked about or latched onto? Well, first of all, the answer, the, the quick answer is no. Okay. Not, not really. I mean, I think I'm, I'm actually pretty amazed at how how much people have sort of interpreted from the story, even if I just briefly touched on it. Uh, but, you know, I, I will say this, and because this is primarily a sports audience, I'll make this point. Um, if you don't think this story is extraordinary and vital, um, imagine in 2019 if the best player in baseball was from Omaha, the best player in football, pro football, was from Omaha. The uh, the, the first, and this is going to be hard to compare it to now, but the, the first player to break the color barrier at the most prestigious position in sports, quarterback, is from Omaha. Right. There's an NBA all-star from Omaha. Right. And they all grew up in the same neighborhood. It's nuts. 
It's an unbelievable nuts. story. It's almost a type of premise that if you threw it to Hollywood, they'd be like, come on. Yeah. No way. And it happened at a time when, during the civil rights yeah. movement, when these guys are not just sports figures, but they are, you know, they're, they're social figures across the country. Sure. And so, you know, this thing sat on my shelf, Nick, for, if I have a strength as a journalist, Generally, it's the ability to see a story. Okay, mm-hmm. it's not always the ability <laughs> to execute a story, uh, but but I can usually see it. And and I knew this thing was crazy, crazy good, the best local story that I've ever heard or known. Uh, I've known that since two thousand six. Yeah, started doing interviews two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Bob Gibson wouldn't talk to me. We had a five-minute conversation on the phone where he basically said, nope, I'm not interested. <laughs> and I cried in my Cheerios and yeah. said, okay, I guess I'm not doing this. Yeah. Uh, and, and it basically sat on, you know, it sat on my shelf for nine years, and it just kind of gnawed at me. Yeah. And there have been other projects that I started and stopped that gnaw at me too, and, and hopefully I'll find chances to get those done too. But, but this is the one that really ate at me. This is like my white whale. And, uh, and, and I got to the point last summer where it's like, man, if, if I'm ever going to make this pain go away that I have in my heart yeah. for not doing this, I just got to try to finish it. And so I sat down and it spent, you know, huge, huge props to the World Herald for giving me the time to do it. But I, I spent basically 10 months, most of 10 months, and I was veering in and out doing some Husker football stuff here and there, but but pretty much ten months, you know, finishing this thing, and um, and the response has been so overwhelmingly positive, not just from old white guys in Omaha who, oh yeah, I was a fan of Bob Gibson, yeah, but but the whole North Omaha neighborhood. I mean, Bob Gibson has come around. He's like sending it out to Joe Torrey and Bob Costas, and you know, trying to get it distributed nationally. And Ernie Chambers is calling, and he's a big fan of it. And so the 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 feedback has been so positive and gratifying that now it's kind of hard to imagine that it, it didn't right. exist. Right. Um, but, but man, it just, it, it easily could have not existed because had some, had, had there been some other factors or had I taken other jobs or whatever, or gotten fired along the way, you know, this thing would not exist. And it's sort of, it's sort of crazy to think that when you consider just the, the gravitas of it. It, one of the reasons it sat on your shelf, I got the sense. I've gotten the I sense. I was scared. Yeah, you, we were intimidated by it. Oh my god, I was scared to death, and I st- because it was so. It was you felt like it was such a good story. Yes, that that could be daunting. It is, and to I got, make sure you do it right. And you I do got it. one shot at this. Yeah, and I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough as a writer to have it live up to the expectations in my head. Sure. And so it's better if I just shelve it. Yeah. You know, in some ways that'll make me feel better because. Uh, then at least I didn't strike out. Maybe it's yeah. the pitch, maybe it's the at-bat that I didn't get, but at least I didn't strike out. Right. And there's a few other things like that that are still sitting on my shelf that are driving me crazy right now. But but like I said, this was the biggest one, and I was just scared of it. I mean, I didn't think I knew it well enough, um, and, and I just thought the story was so rich and so... Um, well, you're doing what you're so, dealing with, so with deep, deep things. It's not you're dealing with not only and is how it how the hell am I supposed as a as a as a white yeah, as a white, right. as a white guy who grew up in a town of 392 people in Nebraska? How am I going to understand the context and nuances of what Bob Gibson and Bob Boozer? Did went, you think Did you think some 19- people were reluctant because of that? A little, a little bit to talk to me, yeah. Not as much as you'd think. Okay. Um, in part because probably so much time has passed that 
you know, I think a lot of people sort of understood the urgency of getting this thing out there. Like, we need to understand. And, and in some ways, I think where it could have been a disadvantage to be someone totally from the outside dropping in to try to tell the story, it ended up being a, a big advantage. Yeah. Because I am seen as an objective observer of this. Yeah. Like, I'm not an, an advocate or an activist, you sure. know, writing about racial issues in the 60s. I mean, this is... You know, well, if 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 the World Herald guy is coming in, you know, it yeah. it must be pretty straight. So uh, so that actually actually played as an advantage, um, and it wasn't as hard to get people to talk as you'd think. And and some of them really put a lot of trust and time into this thing where they didn't have to. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's so cool. And to Gibson hear. eventually talked. It's so. so it's so interesting to hear about how things were in on, in North Omaha. Yeah, back. It, back in the day, because again, it's like you're only. I remember when I first got to Creighton, people being like, "Hey, uh, you know," because where Creighton's campus is, they're right. basically like, "Hey, whatever you do, don't go, don't go, don't cross, Cumming don't Street. cross Cumming Street." Right. Like literally, it was like, and I, I can remember being like, "Why?" Well, you know, I mean, yeah. and they're like, "No, don't go there." And I, I, the the perception in North Omaha that I had, and I feel like you had too, and then you hear about how vibrant and unbelievable North Omaha yeah. was. It was, it, it was the was, most dense, uh, sort of alive place in the whole city. Right. And, you know, it was it was that way because it was segregated. And so if you were a black migrant coming from Arkansas, you only had one place to go live. And so North Omaha became this sort of cultural hub for right. African Americans um, where, you know, the Negro League teams would come in, James Brown and, you know, Duke Ellington and all these musicians would come in. Yeah. I mean, it was like something out of New York. Right. Uh, and, and people generally had no idea, unless you lived in that neighborhood, what it was like. Um, so one of the coolest parts of the feedback is just that hearing from people who actually have those personal experiences, this is not that long ago. I mean, this is like, you know, 50, 60 no. years ago. So there are people, many people alive who remember this stuff. Yeah. And, my father-in-law loved it. My father-in-law, because he grew up in South Omaha. Okay. And knew, I mean, so he I mean, he would call me. Have you read? Did you read the new? I mean, he loved it. Yeah, loved it. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Tell him thanks. Yeah, uh, and tell him to buy ten books. <laughs> no, but <laughs> stocking stuffers. Christmas coming up. Right. Yeah. But you know, it's just uh, it's just so rich. And there, honestly, there's a lot of it that I probably could have gotten to that right. I didn't get to. I mean. There's a lot of the social stuff and civil rights stuff that you could go way deeper on than I did, but I think the fact that it was relatively um, concise—I know it was long, but it was no. But I mean, you're not by not by book standards. Yeah, lots of pictures in that book too. So <laughs> helps people get through it. But I think the fact that it was relatively concise helped people kind of digest it too. Uh, so okay, I mean, it, where real quick plug where people can get the book if they don't know where they can get the book. Uh, all of the local bookstores. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, Barnes and Noble, Bookworm, all that. And then OWHstore.com. It should be on Amazon here in the next couple of months. Okay. We're, so Christmas is coming, kids. Christmas is coming. It's a good it's, it's a good one to get. People people if you haven't checked it out, you should go you should go check it out. Okay. I wanna I wanna talk I wanna go we've been looking in the rearview mirror. I wanna do that for a little bit longer than I want to talk about right now. Um I wrote this down. And it's it's maybe harder to think about it after the fact, but after Frank Solich, so you have Barry Collier, Bill Callahan, Bo Pelini, Doc Sadler, Tim Miles, Mike Riley. <laughs> Which one of those coaches, in your opinion, was the maybe the most surprising? Didn't work. Was there one of the? Were you one of those guys at any of those points with any of those coaches where you were one of those that were just a oh, man? I am all in. 
on this guy working and it didn't. Was Tim, there one? Yeah, Tim Miles. Yeah. Tim Miles. Yep. Even before, was that before the year two explosion? Or you just were convinced? I thought it was a really good hire. Yep. I was one of the few who thought it was a really good hire. Yeah. Um, after the first year when they kind of overachieved, I was like, see? After the second year when they made the NCAA tournament, I was like, see? You guys were all wrong about this. Yeah. I'm still kind of surprised. It's still kind of missed. I want to get work. Tim on. I'm gonna at some point. I'm gonna reach out to Coach. He'll do it. I'm gonna, yeah, I just, text, I, I just we just exchanged texts yesterday. I mean, because he, it, I'd love to. Because sometimes allowing him to maybe let the dust settle, and it's still the dust isn't totally settled for him. But like to just look back on, because it is pretty amazing. If if you would have, I don't know. I was also one of those guys when I because I was at no sit Sunday. I was at so I was, was at the game and. When I when I walked out of that arena, if you would have told me that this this was going to go down in flames, I would have been a little surprised. But at the same time, I remember like a, about a month after that, I was out having some beers with some friends, and there was a huge Nebraska basketball fan that's one of one of my good friends, and we had a huge knockdown dragout argument and made a huge bet that he said that Nebraska would be better than a seven seed in next year's NCAA tournament, and I said no way that I was like, hey, you know, they're going to have to deal with now expectations. It's going to be different. You're talking about a program that's just never, ever experienced that. And I ended up being right. But at the same time, I didn't think it would go the way it went. Right. You know, the, the first of all, the uh, my favorite 24 hour period in 14 years of the World Herald. Uh, yeah. And I've covered thousands of things. Uh, but my favorite weekend was March 8, 9, 2014, uh, Saturday night, Doug McDermott scores his 3,000th point and 45 points against Providence. The next night is no-sit Sunday at Nebraska. And and I'm a hoops head at heart, okay? Yep. I mean, I'm basketball, I love basketball even more than I love football. And to have those two things happen on the same weekend in, Lincoln, in, in, in Omaha and Lincoln, Nebraska, was just... Unbelievable. Mind-blowing. And I will never go back and think about that or read those columns and not get chills thinking about it. Right. But No Sit Sunday was was just unbelievable. And I think uh, it's a little bit of a reminder that, and I'm sure, you know, I don't think this is going to apply to Frost, but but there, no matter what the situation is, a new coach comes in and there's a learning curve, and he has to understand his weaknesses. And I think Miles didn't necessarily understand the challenges in dealing with egos uh, and real big-time talents compared to what he dealt with at Southwest Minnesota State and Colorado State and places like that. It's just different. It's, you're, you're dealing with a different kind of athlete, a different kind of personality, and he, didn't, he just couldn't connect. It's so weird, Nick, that this guy who connected so well with the fan base right. couldn't reach his players. He couldn't reach his best players. His consistently, his relationships broke down with his best players. Whether it was Petaway or Andrew White, uh, Ty Webster, yeah. Andrew White. I mean, he couldn't inspire these guys the way that he inspired the fan in the 40th row. Right, or even Glenn Watson. Glenn Watson never seemed no. like. And maybe I'm wrong. It just maybe Glenn would run through a wall for miles but he didn't pl glenn never played like that yeah if that makes sense and you and i before we came on we were talking about you know how the heck did dana altman make it work at oregon yeah and you said something very interesting which is that 
players detected or they can they can observe that he is authentic. They know he, you know, he may be backwoods Nebraska bohunk, all this yeah. stuff, but he is who he is. And, and never he's consistent. Will ever have a moment where he's trying to to be something he's not. And, and I think Miles struggled with that. Yeah. You know, where players either couldn't relate to him or felt like, you know, what he was telling them wasn't always how he how he really was or whatever it was. But there was an authenticity there for whatever reason broke down, especially with his best players. And it's still surprising to me that it I know. collapsed the way that it did. Uh, because I thought that thing had as much potential as maybe not as much as Frost coming back to football, but pretty darn close. Right. It just goes to show you how much basketball coaching is is a, a huge part of it is relationship based. Like the ability I'm not saying X's and O's is, are overrated because what you do matters. But I mean, at the end of the day, there's a lot of different ways to defend, a lot of different ways to score, a lot of different ways to deal with ball screens, whatever. But ultimately, you have to have an ability to to reach that locker room and create one heartbeat, one spirit. All those cliches matter. And for whatever reason, it just never felt like it really took off. Yeah, and I also think it's it's perhaps a lesson in understanding that you can talk too much as a coach. And and sometimes when you fill the void with consistent noise yourself, whether it's what you're saying or just sort of the energy that Miles brought to it, I think it just wears on you, wears on players over the course of time. Where yeah. they just kind of I just got the sense that guys sort of tuned him out a little bit yeah. after a while. And I think that's another advantage, you know, whether it's Tom Osborne or Dana Altman or whatever, there's just a little bit more of like a, um, maybe a cool customer sure. attribute right. that is necessary as a head coach. Well, you know, even Keel. To your point, even even for a guy like Coach Altman, my uh, pretty much my senior year, Coach had would have me take guys through the night before the game, take the guys through film. As a player, I mean, I'm senior captain. He called me in. He was like, Bob, I think the guys are sick of me and sick of my voice. You know, can you – I trust you, bud. You know what we're going for. And so literally, Dirk, the night before games, I would be – like trying to – and instead of Coach Altman being in there, I would go through – you know, they would create – our film guy would create an edit, a cut-up tape of like, here's this set, this set, and I would be the one taking our guys through it. But I think – it, even even a guy that didn't talk that much, Coach Altman understood. Like, I need to make sure that I'm not overdoing it. Yeah. With so the so, guys. That, so when I do speak, it they, matters. they really are going to listen. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. And I don't want to fall into the trap of thinking, oh, every hire is oh, this is a great hire. Yeah. But because I don't, I don't do that. But but one thing I like so much about Hoiberg, and I liked this in 2014. I'm sitting at. Uh, I'm sitting in San Antonio. Nebraska is at the same site as Creighton, yep. which is at the same site as Iowa State and North Carolina. It was like this dream it's NCAA awesome. tournament site. Yeah. And I watch games that whole weekend. And uh, and just watching Hoiberg, what I just loved about him, and I was almost fanboy, was was just his cool demeanor, like his just sort of uh, poise in the moment. And, and his teams didn't seem to get rattled, in part because he didn't get rattled. And I think that is that's such a strength as a coach when you can combine that poise with immense credibility. Yep. Okay. And the credibility of being an NBA coach, and 
you know, sending all these guys to the league. I mean, I just think I think the world of Hoiberg's ability uh, because he combines sort of that even keel with with great great experience uh, and, and ability to develop players. Yeah, and so I think it's going to work. Uh, and I think in hindsight, you know, Miles Miles lacks some components that I didn't understand at the time. Sure. Okay. Let's because I think a guy that at least right now has all the things you described. I think Frost has a little bit of that. He's got credibility. He also has a calmness, a confidence, a silent confidence to him that I think it is is really good. With with, with Frost, I think I think the hardest thing I see for people is. It can be overwhelming when you get everything you want in life. So for 15, 20 years, we've heard about all the different things that Nebraska needs in a coach. Well, Frost literally is the living embodiment of everything that people have said that they've wanted forever. And it's kind of like that guy at the end of the bench, like, shit, if, I'd, if I was playing, if I was starting, I'd be doing this, this, and this. It's like, all of a sudden, when that guy gets thrown out there, it's like, okay, man, you're out there. Right. How's this going to go? I think there's. I think it's interesting that all the Husker fans have everything they've ever wanted in a coach. Literally, I'm not so sure back in 2017 if you'd have been like, you can have Scott Frost or Urban Meyer. People would have been like, I want Frost. Yeah. You can have Nick Saban or, or, or Scott Frost. But I want Frost. I really think like if there had been a all coaches available draft, I think Husker right. fans would have taken Scott Frost. And so I think within that comes this subconscious feeling of like, if this doesn't work, if Frost can't get it done, well, then now what? And I think that is a, that's not to say people aren't confident in Frost, but that there's a lot of emotions that come with that. Well, and I think it's important. Um, I, I don't, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to argue that Colorado was a good thing, but in some ways it does sort of make people recognize that this is a, this is a you know a human being who makes mistakes, a coach who makes mistakes, who who uh, who's prone to game management errors yep, or play no calling question. errors, yep. and it's like I think that's not necessarily a bad thing going forward. Nor is it a bad thing, by the way. I think Scott Frost is one of the most confident human beings that I've ever seen. Uh, certitude, you know, uh, in everything that he does, but but. He came off a UCF second season in which everything went right, and he went thirteen and zero. And if you go back and you know listen to the, his words over the last two years, he just sort of he 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 had so much certainty in what he was doing, in large part because he you know he's he is who he is, and he won a national championship and all this stuff. But but also because it went so well at UCF. Uh, that I think a little bit of humility is not necessarily a bad thing. That hey, this might be harder than we thought it was going to be. No doubt, right? This is the Big Ten, not the AAC, and um, you know we we're going to play teams that actually play defense. And even to a certain extent, this is the Big Ten, not the Pac-12. Right. I know he wasn't a head coach, but I mean it's it's a different. So you know, who am I to say here? Here's some humble pie, Scott Frost. But but, but clearly, I think. He expected this thing to turn around fast, and it's not the worst thing in the world that it's not going to do that. Right? I if you would have told him, "Hey, your record, you're going to be what is he now six and nine? Yeah. If you would have told him before the season started last year, "Hey, your record's going to be six and nine in your first fifteen games," I think he would have looked at you like you're out of your mind. Yeah. He and would've. and so what to your point? I think that that's 
sometimes it is. I, I think I think in some ways the zero and six start last year was good for the fan base. I think in some ways uh, the the loss to Colorado was maybe good for everyone. And then I I hadn't thought about that with even Frost for everyone to maybe just. Everyone needs to breathe. Yes, breathe, <laughs> breathe. Yeah. And that's kind of how I felt about the Adrian Martinez, Adrian Martinez preseason thing. It's just like, can we just let him? Can we let him develop a little bit? Yeah, he's nineteen years old. He doesn't. Right. He went four he, and eight. He didn't. In my my, I Nick, was talking Nick, to Nick. Nick. Yeah. He was. He had the third best Heisman odds. Right. Yeah. Looking back on that now, four you're and like, eight what? season. Right. Right. Like, what? I know. Well, think about the thing. I I I. After the South Alabama game, I was talking to Bo Rude, and I, I was like, never underestimate. There's a difference between producing and producing when it matters, yeah. when there are consequences. For instance, like my analogy is like Trey Young put up great numbers in the NBA, but how many real big moments was Trey Young in right. that mattered? Like none. Even last year, how many pressure-packed moments was Adrian Martinez really in that truly when you lost this game or you said like it, it really mattered. Not very many. No. And, and so there's a total, there's a big difference between sitting in the pocket and slinging it into a, you know, into zone coverage or man coverage when you're down 21 or you're already out of bowl eligibility than when you're fourth quarter on the road and you blew a 17 point lead. Yeah. You and got the division championship. And the division, on like it's a different deal. Yeah. It it's is. a different deal, and he's going to have to learn. You know, he's going to make more mistakes. I mean, that's right. just. But you know, I was listening to your podcast with Bo. You know, the, the other day, and I thought you guys touched on you know a number of issues that were really interesting. He just doesn't. He doesn't quite have it yet. No, you know, he doesn't. It's like he's not seeing it or something like that. And I think that's a little bit surprising. I knew he wasn't going to be right. You know, Vince Young or Johnny Manziel or something like that. That's not necessarily who he is, but. Man, I just expected a little bit more development in terms of like being able to see things um, and decisiveness. Right, and it's it's doesn't it's not quite there yet. Right, yeah, and and I don't know what again might just take time, but I I agree with you with the the other thing with the uh, to navigate because I'm always interested to pick your brain on big picture things like when. The other thing that that is is interesting about this is when does the rebuild end yeah. and the results begin? Well, I was just going to say, you know, I, I think it's a it's a great great question because I, I specifically remember um, 2009 at this time. You know, when, when you've been through so many failed coaches, yeah. you, you tend to draw parallels. And I'm not saying Frost is going to fail, uh, but but it reminds me of 2009 where. People thought Polini was just going to kind of pick up where he left off at the end of 08, which finished strong. They beat Clemson in the bowl. They come back the next year. They they just kind of give away a game at Virginia Tech, you know, or yep. very similar to the Colorado thing. They come home. They turn the ball over eight times against Iowa State. It was an unbelievable game. They, they lose by 21 to Texas Tech in a game in which Nebraska was favored. Uh, it's just like, you know, there was kind of like a, whoa, honeymoon's over type of period. And I think that was sort of a, the transition between, um, you know, we don't care what the, we don't care how many games we win this year to all of a sudden like oh uh, we should probably start winning now yeah you know and that isn't happening, and I think you may see something similar this year okay. if things don't. This is a pretty flawed football team still, Very. and I think you might see a you know seven and five season if that, if that happens you're going to hear a little bit more of that. Um, from people saying, "Man, we've it's it's time to start winning." Right. Um, but 
you know, I, I do think Frost has the thing that gives me so much confidence about Frost is I feel like he every time I wonder if he sees um well that's gonna sound arrogant on my part, but but like coming off the Iowa game last year. Okay, Nebraska loses in overtime or whatever it was, right before overtime. And and you know, I walk away from that game thinking the the deficiency or Nebraska's vulnerability is very clear. Um, and Frost, the first thing he says in the postgame interview after Iowa is, we're not good enough at the line of scrimmage. When I look across the field, they got bigger guys than we got. We're, you know, essentially right. we're never going to compete with them until we change that. Yep. And it's like, holy crap, that's exactly what I was thinking at that moment. Right. And, and so I, I think what gives me so much confidence is he, I think he, he understands Nebraska's deficiencies, not only now, but over the last, 20 years. Yes. Better than, way better than anybody who's ever walked into the job. Yes. And and I think that's really going to, it might not help him this year, but I think it's going to help him two, three years down the road. And with that too, I think he, not only does he understand Nebraska's deficiencies, I think he understands how to maximize Nebraska. Yes. So, he, there, so he, it's twofold. Nick, he believes in it. Yes. He believes in it. I mean, you know, the... The old model, in some ways, is outdated. Okay, it just is. But but in many ways, it's it's not. No. And when you, you know, when you look at what football means in the state um, compared to what it I, what it means in Iowa or what it means, you know, in in the state of Michigan or whatever. I mean, you can still use Nebraska's football fanaticism to your advantage. Mm-hmm. And I think Frost has a better understanding of that than anybody who's ever walked into this job. Totally, totally, even, agree. even better than Tom Osborne. By yeah, the way. I, I, so I think I, I agree with you. I, I, I think he—that's a good way to put. He understands the deficiencies better than anybody. He understands the strengths better than anybody. When you combine those two things, I, I think he's going to eventually get it done. I just did a, and for the right, I'm not saying that the results need to begin now. I just think it's going to be interesting to see how that works. Like, at what point do are 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 there going to be losses in year four where people are still talking about? Well, you know, the weight room and the, you know, you know, like I just, I, that's always a tricky thing. It's like, at what point do you, and this is about it, do, at what point do you take the training wheels off yeah. and ride? You know what I'm looking forward to is when people put their identity in wins and losses again. Yeah. Because, I mean, <laughs> I still think that there's, in the absence of actual success on the field, I still feel like people put too much into too much pride into oh we filled Colorado Stadium. It's like okay, that was neat. Yeah, but that's not really what this is about. Sure, right? Oh, you feel great about Scott Frost as your coach, and that's great. Okay, that's fine. But sure, winning games is what matters here. Yeah, you know, and I feel like people in the absence of success have really sort of diverted their ident- identity to other things. It's like, man, it'd be nice if everybody would just right. sort of get back to what really matters here. What uh, one thing one one thing that's really interesting to me, and I get it. I'm not going to be disingenuous and say that I don't get it because I think uh, it, it seemed like last year. Last year it was always Chen Anders' fault. Always, it was always the defense's fault. It was always his fault. It was always his fault. And now, let's be honest. Chenander and the defense, they've carried the team for three yeah, games. They have. And there does seem like there's this reluctancy to praise him. And I, I understand that when when Frost is, you know, he's he's the play caller. You're it's always not gonna go there, it's gonna go somewhere else. But I just I've been now they're not the 
they're not the 2009 black shirts or the 95 black shirts or anything like that. But like, Derek, man, for three games relative to an expectation level, I've been wildly impressed with the defense. And it's funny how I just don't know if that's been reflected in how people have absorbed the the three games so far. Well, and I think it's interesting because I think Frost is struggling with this a little bit internally. It's like, how do I build? Um, do I have to change? He's never quite had this this dynamic where, I mean, I don't think Oregon ever had the situation where Oregon's defense was ever better than its offense. No way. I don't uh, know that. I just I'm not saying I followed it real close. But so my point is like, is, is how does he change things? offensively do you if, ever accept that like if, at some point this year does he go we got a pretty good defense now i don't know we'll get we'll right. find out how good they really are in all yeah. reality every game they play from here on out th- there's going to be better than the first three teams they played but you're right that's interesting like at what point does he go you know what i gotta start protecting him a little bit i gotta, I gotta yeah. start leaning on him a little bit because sam had an i wish i i had it sam had a nugget and that he tweeted out about the number of plays Nebraska's seen through three games oh, yeah. defensively compared to Iowa. It was like 280-something for Nebraska, and Iowa's defense had only seen 150 or something. I mean, that's the equivalent of, I mean, over the course of the season, Nebraska's defense plays like a, like a couple more games, in air quotes, and that catches up to you. Yeah, it does. And I think Nebraska's D-line is, is much more equipped to handle the, the rigors of the Big Ten than they've yep. been at any time in the last five years. But I still think that it it does accumulate over time, and this offense, uh, even you know, even at its best, it's still got some sort of boom and bust characteristics to it, where you're going to have some some ugly moments, you know, whether it's a swing pass into the end zone for a safety yeah. or a three and out, <laughs> right. you know, at Colorado after a, after a fumble on a kickoff, uh, you know, there's I think. Frost is going to have to if if the defense keeps playing the way they're playing, he's going to have to make some hard decisions about okay, do I change my offense uh, in some ways? To I'm not talking about going full Sean Watson, you know, like <laughs> run the ball into yeah, the line no, of scrimmage right, three times. Right. You don't want to do that, but but I do think it it will create some questions going forward. But I think that's uh, that's always the interesting thing about a coaching change, where it's where do you draw the line on doing what's best in the moment to win that specific game versus being big picture oriented and doing what you need to do to establish your identity. Yes, because and I wonder where he's still at in his head with that. It's a great point because you could make an argument right now that this season matters less than the big picture of trying to create an offensive culture and a quarterback that is going to be Marcus Mariota next year. Yeah. And how do I get Adrian Martinez to where Marcus Mariota was? Right. Uh, and does that, you know, is that consistent with winning every game and making every play call to win every game yeah. this year? That's an, that's an interesting, interesting point. Real quick, before I want to ask you one Creighton thing, then I'll let you run. Appreciate you hanging for so long. But has anything, I don't know what your prediction was before the season, record wise. Has anything in the first three games altered it? Like, have you been like, oh, boy, I thought they were going to win nine games. I think they're winning seven now. Or has, Have you moved off? I said eight and four. Uh, we're talking about Nebraska football here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said eight and four. I, st- I still stand by that. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, there's a lot of losable games in the Big Ten. And just if you play the odds, I think Nebraska's going to lose one that they shouldn't lose. Yeah. I think they're going to lose to Ohio State. That's one they should lose. But... um you know, my sense is there will be some some good moments too down the stretch. Um, I th- again, I think the defense gives them a chance against teams like Wisconsin and yeah. Iowa, especially in Memorial Stadium. 
Um, but but I think it's still probably an eight and four team. All right, before I let you run, I want to talk a little bit of Creighton because it's sometimes it's nice to get like someone like just because sometimes there are moments where like you're you're in it too much. You know, you're in the forest and it's hard to see uh, the big picture of things. How, this with all that, this feels like a really big season for Creighton basketball. Like you you've th- this feels like uh, you've had a lot of the off the court stuff. Uh, there have been a lot of good teams that have had some things happen that have allowed them to not punch through in the NCAA tournament. You you return everybody. You got some good young players. Feels like a big year. But how do you how do you see? It does. But Nick, I think I think we're getting to this point now where the NCAA tournament, you know, is, is carries so much weight in the program because Mac has struggled in the NCAA tournament that. I don't want to say it all comes down to that, but I just think people are ready for a run. Like if you, yes, Creighton's got some horses, I think, that that give it potential. But even if you struggle a little bit during the season and you're a seven seed or a nine seed, like I think people just want to see a run right? in, in March. And that's been the hard part about the last couple of years. I mean, especially, uh, what was it? Well, the Mo Watson. The Mo Watson thing was, was where it's just like, man, Creighton yeah. is just loaded, and it, Mac had built it in such a way that it was it was not only beautiful basketball, but I felt like it was it was really catered to to going on a long run. And when that didn't work out, uh, and then the next year they kind of flame out, and it's just like, um, you know, I feel like he just needs some NCAA tournament success. Yeah, which is just crazy, you know, because it's my favorite sport in the world is college basketball. And I hate it at the same time because of the structure of the sport. Yeah. Where it's like the hardest thing to do is to be consistent throughout the course of a season, perform well in your conference, you know, put together seasons of consistently uh, being in the tournament, all those things. It's like people would rather have – now, Loyola Chicago is a bad example because they went to the Final Four. The Final Four is a big thing. I'll give you an example. It, I, I Six months ago, whatever it was, I, I put out a Twitter poll and, and said, would you rather have the K-State season when they were nine seed yeah. and they went to the Elite Eight and lost to Loyola Chicago? Yep. Or would you rather have the K-State the year before in which I think they were co-Big 12 champs or like a four seed yep. and they lost to LaSalle or somebody like that in the first round? And everybody said, oh, you know, you, you take the nine seed and go on a run to the Elite Eight. It's like, really? Is, see, that, is that how it should see, be? I struggle with that, Dirk, because like I'm just... The reality of college basketball is a lot of people only pay attention right. or care in March. And if you put those teams on the court together, that four seed would blow away the Kill nine them. seed. Yeah. Kill them. But yet, it, it just, it's, it's just the scary thing is that you're judged on how you do in a couple weekends in March. Yeah. So I think Creighton fans just want to basically, you know, you're way more into this than I am. Um, but I just think they want to, you know, they, well, they want to run. They want to be part of the party. I like, feel, you know, I've said this all the time that while individually you can explain away not punching through, right? You know, well, this guy, this guy got hurt, and then this happened, and then this was a bad matchup, and then oh man, they had to play North Carolina in the second round in Greensboro. It's like in all those things in the moment, you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But ultimately, you over the course of of that many opportunities. There's no excuse to not at some point punch through. Right. And I'm telling you, I was on one of the teams that lost in the first round. So, like, I'm telling you, like, I understand how that is. Like, even though it's my analogy I'd give on the radio is, like, if I'm – say I'm late to uh, work 
10 different times in the month. And I can go to my boss and be like, well, I got a flat tire, then this happened this <laughs> exactly. time. And I can explain to everyone, but still, we got a problem because you were late to work 10 times over the right. course of it. And so like, it's just, it's a it's a rock and a hard place, tough spot for college basketball and for Creighton. In yeah, and I, I think the culture is so you know established there now that it's like to go through all the work of building the culture and having the fanfare and all this stuff and not sort of get the ultimate reward right. is really tough. Yeah. I just don't, I, I do push back on like, I really don't under, like when people, I'd always, I'd, and I would never even want to entertain anything, you know, the whole like his Mac on the hot seat stuff. I just don't like people that question, like question him like that. I really, I have a hard time with it. Like, I just don't, this is a guy, everybody said, well, let's see what he can do without his son, which also it's funny that he gets no credit for, like, it's like for some reason that team, he gets no credit for that, yeah. which is always crazy to me. It's like, well, after his son left, you're navigating up a level and he built a top 10 team and like he clearly has a consistent winner. I don't. By the way, that's that's pretty easy to watch. Yeah, like, it's pretty you know, easy on the eyes and fun to watch. Right. And this is you ready for the Homer comment from me of like, I, I think outside of 10, 10 to 15, maybe 15 to 20 programs. Every other school would die to have Creighton's last seven or eight seasons. Yeah, I might disagree with that a little bit. I mean, outside of Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, Carolina, Louisville, Xavier, Villanova, you know, like outside of those 20 schools, you just always, you put a pen and paper, you get to 20 schools. Yeah. And I'm, that's not for, that's not, I'm not trying to say like, well, you should know your place and feel good about it. But I also think you need to realize that like, it, it's also, at first frustrated as people have been after the Rhode Island loss and the Baylor game and the, and the Kansas State loss and all that stuff, like there's still, Creighton's still been a pretty consistently high performing program for not just a flash in the pan. Yeah. The uh, they they need some toughness though. Oh, there's I mean, no question. I, they just, I think a consistent point of weakness is that they just are not tough enough. Totally. And not I not even close to tough. I enough. don't know. Well, this past year especially. Yeah. I, I just don't know if you can change that culture or not. I mean, I don't know. It's it's been sort of the weak point of the program now for about seven years. What I think it is. I think, and being around the program a little bit, I'm always amazed at how the detail of the strategy and the schematics of, uh, like, I, I, I deem myself a pretty smart, high IQ player. Dirk, some of these defensive game plans, and I'll, I'll never get, they played Providence, Chris Dunn. They had like five different ball screen coverages depending on where the screen was being set, the angle of the screen, who was setting the screen. Like, that's a lot of stuff. Right. And so what that does, Dirk, in my opinion, is it gets people thinking that the solution is always in a scheme hmm. and not your heart and your nuts. Yeah. Sometimes the solution is, I don't give a fuck where the ball screen is. Get into Chris Dunn, force him over the screen, trap him. And don't let him score. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think the same thing that makes the program great is how, is they are. I mean, Mac is really talented with devising a game plan and schemes. Is the same thing I think sometimes hurts it is like the solution. It's like when 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 the guys get scored on, I think they look to the sideline and they and they go, well, what 
coverage can be better. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, sometimes it's just like go get the rebound. Go rebound. Go yeah. go block out and get the rebound. Or don't get beat off the dribble. Right. Or fight through that screen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and it's funny because the contrast with Creighton for a number of years was was Wichita State. Yeah. And that was sort of the the you know the opposite. Um and they've they've got some of their own issues in trying to sustain down there. But uh, what a great contrast to two programs, and and I think Creighton could probably learn some things from Greg Marshall. Yeah, I'm sure they'll love to hear that. Oh uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I just want to tell you before we go. So I listened to, I'm a podcast junkie, as you probably are too. Yep. And I listened to uh, I listened to everything on one and a half tempo. Okay. <laughs> okay, I've never done that. You haven't? I've never done that. Okay, I listened to everything on one and a half tempo, and and I so. <laughs> What's funny is when I'm listening to you, and did you even know this existed that you can do this? Yes. Okay. I would love if this existed, like you know, on TV, and you know, if you could run all your conversations at one and a half speed, think how much more efficient time would be. True. But you know, so I'm, when I'm listening to your podcast, it's like, man, he's really, really funny and quick with a joke, and it's like I have to remind myself sometimes that oh, that's because I'm running this on one and a half speed. Uh, it's the same thing with uh, the Wetzel Forty podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, those guys are hilarious. Yes. and it's like, man, how are they? So, how are they so fast? How are they so quick with a joke? But uh, as I was sitting here talking to you, I'm thinking, man, I'm talking really fast, and it's uh, not quite Jake Muleheisen fast. Jake but pretty talks fast, fast. Yeah. and it's like, man, this is going to be really hard to listen to on time one and a half. <laughs> I, My, I need to try that though. I need to try. I need oh, to pick a it's podcast. So much those. more efficient. So but much it more doesn't. Efficient. Like, I feel like it would. You don't. It's not you don't, as when, fast as you think. Well, here's the thing. You know, I think they call it velocitized on driving, where you know when you have been on the interstate, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you get to, you're going like 35, and you feel like I could walk this fast. Like, do you transition in the real life, and you're like <laughs> walking fast? Come on, talk faster. Let's yeah. go. Let's yeah. like. Well, it's funny because my wife will come in to the, to the room sometimes, and I'll be listening to a podcast on time one and a half, and she'll be like, I can't listen to that. I can't just turn it off. Because <laughs> she, she's like a robot. I would, I would struggle with that, but I will I will try to give that a try, okay? Yeah, so, I will try to give that a try. And it's funny, when you go back then to like normal speed, I'll listen to Does it to sound you. like I'm drunk it's like, or something? Yeah, it's like, hello, friends. <laughs> so, I'm going to have to give that a try. I mean, it does make sense. You'd be able to hammer through an hour pod oh, way yeah. faster. Yeah. 40 minutes. Wow, that's quite the one and a half, huh? That's what I need to do. And when, with you, with your freaking hour and 45 minute podcast. True, yeah. We don't, people, people, people need like, to, like, come I'm on, not, Nick, get on with I'm it. I'm not driving to Colorado here. Well, I'm giving, I'm, my pod exists apparently for the people that got two hour commutes to places, you know? Yeah. That's what I got. That's what I got. Dirk, this was great. You, I've told you, I love your work. I love what you do. I hope you will come back on the pod at some point. I would love to. I really appreciate that. And thank you for March 12th, 2002. Writing the story on me, the Daily Nebraska. Uh, it was a right? classic. It was. I mean, how it didn't spark your career immediately. If that's not framed in your basement, it I'm needs gonna to be, be really disappointed. It, it needs to be. Again, you saw it. I have it pulled up on my computer. I was like, I wonder if that's still there. I googled Nick Bod Daily Nebraska. Boom, there it was. Google still exists. Thank you, Dirk. Right, Appreciate it.